0: The cop came over to me and he said, I'm not allowed to let you go tonight. And I said, what? And he goes, you might as well have shot a kid while raping them in front of me because you're looking at a 25 year jail sentence. Underneath my mattress was all the blood from the person who'd been in there before me, who'd been stabbed. So for the first few days, I didn't sleep at all when I first got into prison the first few nights, I didn't sleep at all. All right guys, so
1: today we've got a special video where I interviewed Daniel Witham, who was a long time activist in the harm reduction space. And he's here today to share us a very powerful story of how he got a long-term prison sentence for holding mushrooms. Yes, that's right, he went to a hardcore prison for magic mushrooms. You know, 2017, and the fact that this is still happening is just absolutely mind-boggling. So I think it's very important for everyone listening at home to share this story around. We explore many deep subjects, such as Daniel's first mushroom trip, his time getting locked up in prison, how he got out of that whole situation, and also the, uh, let's say, the corrupt uh, system of prisons and drug laws and things like that. This is one of the most powerful conversations I've ever had the privilege of having and I think you guys are really going to enjoy this podcast. And I'd really love to express my gratitude to all our Patreon supporters who have helped fund this show and hired production documentaries. And I'd also like to take this time to give a shout out to Jason Stevenson. So not only has Jason been a long time Patreon supporter, but he also does awesome guided meditations. Uh, not only on his website, jasonstevenson.net, but also his YouTube channel. Please make sure to share this around because I'm sure YouTube, as usual, is going to demonetize this video because of the word mushroom. Apparently, it's offensive. I don't know what's going on there. But this is why we really need your guys' help in spreading this message so that this type of content does get shared. If anyone's interested in supporting the channel, then the best way to do so would be via Patreon or a one-time donation on PayPal. And there's also merch if that's what you're into. But yeah, that's it, guys. And we're also on Spotify and iTunes, which is something that I almost always forget to mention. But yeah, anyways. See you on the next video, bye.
0: So, I grew up in a small town called Portland in far southwest Victoria, and it's about half an hour's drive from the South Australian border and it's on the coast and uh, my first drug use was using uh, cannabis when I was about 12 years old. I smoked cigarettes first, but a proper psychoactive drug experience was using cannabis around the age of 12, and also using alcohol then. Um, I first learnt about psychedelics at the age of 12, and I decided to not use them. I met a lot of people that had had really life-changing positive experiences, especially like artists and musicians. Um, some of my older friends that were teachers that had these phenomenal phenomenal experiences. But also met a lot of people that had negative experiences, so I thought they're extremely powerful tools, mm. I'm very interested in them, but I don't want to touch them just yet. Um, in the first month of going to high school, I was smoking cigarettes, I was drinking alcohol, I was taking some prescription drugs like Valium and uh, doing cold water extractions of codeine out of uh, cough medicine oh, and shit. stuff like how old, that. How old were you, you Uh so, so nearly 13. Tw- oh, okay. 12, yeah, yeah, yeah. almost 13. Um, I had my first sexual experience while inebriated because I had really bad anxiety um, mm. and really bad depression and I didn't have much self-worth at all so it wasn't until I Drank alcohol, cannabis really just relaxed me, but taking things like alcohol and Valium, these GABAergic substances that relax the body and the mind, um, gave me confidence that I never had in the past. And mm. I'm um, I'm not proud of having sex at that age, but I believe that I wouldn't have had a sexual encounter until much later if it wasn't for these drunken sexual encounters that I had about. A month before my 13th birthday, um, a friend's older brother was about to go off to university and he sold me four books. One of them was Aldous Huxley's Doors of Perception. The other one was uh, Paul Stamets, Magic Mushrooms of the World. Yeah. Um, Doors of Perception was written in the 1950s and Aldous Huxley's famous for being one of the first white people to write about experiences with compounds such as mescaline yeah. and uh, many other psychoactives. Um, Paul Stamets is now a very famous mycologist, but at the time, his book, um, all of his books, were banned in Australia. You weren't allowed oh. to have a copy of uh, of uh, Psilocybin Mushrooms of the World. Really, I, mean, I didn't know that. Yeah, so oh, even his um, even his non psychoactive mushroom books, his culinary mushroom books, were banned. And it wasn't until sometime in the early or mid two thousands that they were no longer banned. They lifted the ban on his books. So mm. I had this illegal book. And it told me um, about his use of of psilocybin mushrooms, and it also told me about some nearly 200 species, about 180 species of psilocybin mushrooms that grew throughout the world. And I'd been shown uh, Psilocybe suburbanosa, the Southeast Australian, now it's moved over to Western Australia from from, uh, actually through the use of... um, machinery for um growing um pine trees so yeah, harvesting yeah. pine trees that's how psilocybe suburbanosa has got got over to western australia so it's really just a southeast australian mushroom um can be found in southeast queensland but I was shown this mushroom in the first uh 5 or 6 months around mid may I was shown this mushroom told that's a psychedelic mushroom and I went wow I've seen those things everywhere that can't be right And anyway, I'm reading through Paul Stamets' books, and it comes to Australian mushrooms, and there it is, Psyllocybe suburginosa. And it also shows some warm climate species up in Queensland, the uh, Pernalia cyanescens and the Psyllocybe cubensis. And I read about those books for a while, and then I picked up two other very important books, probably the most important books in my life to this day. Written by Anne and Alexander Shulgin. Alexander Shulgin is famous for resynthesizing MDMA in the 1970s. Uh, The Germans first synthesized uh, in 1913, I believe it was, MDMA, and the patent was shelved because they were looking for amphetamine stimulants and they've given it to a monkey or whatever in a cage and the monkeys just sat there. probably blissed out of its mind, (laughs) but it didn't show any stimulation, so they didn't give it to any humans and there was no human trials. But um, this guy, uh, Dr. Alexander Shulgin, he'd invented something for the company he worked for, Bayer, that made them... Millions or billions of dollars and they said you can work on anything you want to work on and this was either in the late fifties or early 1960s and he tried mescaline a few weeks before they said that to him Mm -hmm. and he was so intrigued that this compound mescaline like um, Three a quarter of a gram um, 250 to 300 milligrams could give him a life-changing experience for 10 hours 12 hours so he thought I'm gonna start studying these psychedelic compounds and he wrote this phenomenal book called Phenethylamines I Have Known and Loved, and the acronym for that is Pical. And then What's he also P-P-P-K-A-L. P-I-H-K-A-L. Right. Okay. And then he also wrote another book called Tryptamines I Have Known and Loved, and mm-hmm. that was called Tical. And in there it has all of the stories of how he invented all of these compounds, such as 2CB, which is an analog of mescaline. Um, there's analogs of psilocybin in there. And it would have stories about how he invented them, the effects, but in the back of the book, it had all the chemistry in there. And at Mm. the time, I'm 13 years old and I'm reading this stuff, and chemistry read like another language to me. Mm. But it was just so interesting to me, and I was just absolutely... I felt like I was going to understand this one day. So Mm. I read those two books from back to front a few times a year. I read on the early online forums about psilocybin mushrooms and LSD and mescaline because there was a lot of cactus around, there was a lot of LSD around, there was a lot of MDMA around. Mm. But I only used cannabis and alcohol, really abused cannabis and alcohol until I was about 15 years old. And then one day in the year 2000, I was walking in the Kabobany State Forest which is about 15 to 20 kilometres west of Portland. And I'm walking down a bush track and I've always loved walking in the bush because when I walked in the bush, I would go into what I would now call a flow state Mm. where I no longer thought about anxiety, I no longer thought about fitting in. Mm. And also when I was surfing, I loved surfing and I loved drumming. I would go into these states of mind where I would forget who I was and what I was doing and I was just living in the moment, Mm. a state of bliss. And I'd read that you could reach these states on these compounds, but I was also scared, healthily scared of them. I was walking down this bush track, and I stopped to take a piss, and I looked down at my feet. And this ends up being a recurring story in the last almost two decades now of my life. Um, I looked down at my feet, and here's a bunch of Psyllocybe suberganosa. And I looked down the track and they're just dotted absolutely everywhere. And I had a small backpack on me that I just had a bottle of water in, and nothing else. Might have had a book in there, and I decided, this is the time. I'm going to find out what all the hype is about. So, I had no idea about Dose, and I picked enough mushrooms to fill a small backpack. Later that evening, I told my... later that afternoon, I told my mother I was going to go camping with a bunch of friends, or stay at a friend's place, I can't remember. But what I did was I got an older friend to drop me in the bush, with a bunch of camping equipment. And... I ate a large meal. I put, I'm not sure how many mushrooms, but likely something like 200 grams of Psilocybe suburbanosa, which is about 10 times an average nice dose of these things, into a pot. I boiled them up with about 5 glasses of water. And then I poured, I filtered out the mushroom juice and I had about 4 cups of, um, of mushroom juice there and I had a full stomach which I now know isn't a good idea before taking any psychedelics so I've drank 1 cup of mushroom juice and I've waited 45 minutes and I couldn't feel anything and I thought, well I don't know anything about dose, maybe you need more so I drank another cup I waited about half an hour and I could feel a very mild effect and then I drank a third cup And when I got to the end of that third cup, I thought, "Geez, I'm full, but I can feel this sense of bliss and impending doom at the same time. And before I had a chance to even realize that I was having these two different feelings at the same time, which basically, in the normal world, in your normal mind frame, you're either feeling a sense of like normalness, bliss, Mm. there's doom coming on. Um, But this was both feelings at once. And I was about to freak out about this and I thought, this isn't right. And then all of a sudden I saw the ground start to move around me a little bit. Just slight movements in the ground. I looked up at the trees. They started to move a little bit. I looked at the fire that I built in front of me. And I started seeing faces of people that I recognized in the fire in front of me. And then my anxiety had disappeared. And I thought, that's interesting. But all of a sudden the visuals got so intense I thought I need to get away from this, so I shut my eyes. And what I saw is I can only describe as 4D patterns. Mm. These patterns were so beyond anything that I'd ever seen in my life and geometrics, beyond kaleidoscopes or anything. Any art that I'd seen that I can only describe them at the time as 4D patterns. Anyone that's had high dose tryptonines will know what I'm speaking about. Oh, yeah. So. I didn't get any reprieve from shutting my eyes (laughs) and when I opened my eyes, the campsite around me as I'd known it before these mushrooms had kicked in, and had completely changed. Uh, In front of me where the fire was, was now like this um, portal to another dimension. The ground was moving with the fluidity of the ocean, it was like I was out in the ocean in a boat. Where the trees were standing, there was then these three women and they were like humanoid entities and they seemed to be Aboriginal so they Mm. seemed to have a First Nations people feel to them but I wouldn't call them 100% they were humanoid feminine entities before I had the chance to freak out that I'm seeing entities and the whole world around me has changed these female entities said to me you came here to learn and we're going to teach you Mm. and I then got to see the way, because I used to act very awkward in public Mm. and I used to fake a lot of things in public due to my own um, anxieties and um, self-worth problems and anxiety, depression and whatnot. Mm. And I got to see the way that I was maybe viewed by other people, I got to see that other people maybe felt the same way that I did and also Mm. got to see that maybe some people don't see the world in the way that I do at all. Maybe they're not looking at how other people look at them, or thinking about these things. And, anyway, that night, I went through many other things. There was definitely some negative effects, like for a moment, I was certain that I died. I laid down beside the fire, and I was certain that I died, and then I realized that I hadn't died. But then I felt like I was the worst person in the world, and this is quite common for people on high dose um, experiences with psychedelics as well. You yeah, feel yeah, yeah. like you're the uh, piece of shit, yeah. one of the worst people in the world. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And a um, laugh out of empathy. By yeah, I, 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 I feel I feel it's hilarious looking back myself. Okay. And anyway, I um, experienced all these emotions, and then the following day. I woke up, after going to bed in the early hours of the morning, I jumped into my swag, and I remember falling to sleep um, with these mild visuals of mushrooms fruiting out of the ground, fruiting out of mycelium and mycelial networks just going together, and um, it reminded me of the way that the brain's wired and I knew nothing about it at the time, but now I understand that psilocybin mushrooms basically can rewire our thoughts and our brains. Yeah,
1: create a hyperconnected brain. Yeah, yeah. Kind of so it was very
0: that. interesting that as I was falling asleep, I was seeing this, and I felt that my brain had been rewired. And anyway, awesome. the next morning I woke up quite late. I was usually up by 7 or 8 in the morning, and I woke up at about 10 a.m. Because it's Victorian winter, it's probably about 6 or 8 degrees at this time and I woke up to the sound of my friend's car coming to pick me up Mm. and he's come and he's um, helped me pack up all of my camp because there's things everywhere that I couldn't pack up while I was tripping we've packed up my camp, rolled up my swag and as we're putting the stuff into the car he said so how was your experience last night? and it wasn't until that moment that I realized I wasn't anxious in his presence at all Mm. and I was one of those people that was basically anxious in anybody's presence other than maybe some of my closest friends and family members. There was always a level of anxiety there, and I thought, "Wow, for once I've had a flow state out in the bush that I might be able to actually take something back from." Whereas with my drumming and that, I'd be like, "Wow, I'm in a flow state," and then as soon as it had stopped, it was gone. I went back home, and I had a lot of trouble with my mother. Um, my mother was abused as a child, and she had a lot of problems. And I actually learned that a lot of problems that were eating away at my mum were probably similar to the problems that were eating away at me. So, For once I didn't go to my room and just study these books because I was very much a a loner. Mm. I would have a lot of friends but I loved to sit by myself and just learn. I was a knowledge sponge, I'd take toys apart and try and work out how things worked and read a lot of books and Mm. play drums, listen to music and I sat down and had a conversation with my mother and I listened to her for once and I could see inside her that something was eating away at her and years later I learned that my mum was abused as a child and I thought, um, wow, this medicine could do so much for my mother Mm. but um, anyway, I went to school, so that was on a Saturday night the Sunday, um, I was pretty tired after that experience and that's pretty common after a high dose, especially with fresh mushrooms I'm pretty tired the next day, so I had an early night The the Monday morning I went to school and it was common that before the first bell, which was at 9am to go to class, we'd all get to school at 8.30 in the morning and we'd go and we'd be smoking cigarettes, some people would be drinking alcohol, Um, smoking joints is really common. I knocked all these things back and there was always this very quiet girl that I always noticed her but I never had the guts to go up and start a conversation with her and I walked straight up to her and I started chatting to her. For once, I had the guts to go out to a girl and, and talk to her, and I thought that maybe this girl's depressed or anxious or something, and I need to find out what she's yeah. about. It actually probably gave me an amount of ego. Yeah. Like, a lot of people talk about dissolving the ego and this being a positive thing. If anything, I basically had no ego, and it was a negative thing for me because it made me suck at many social roles. So, Mm -hmm. dissolving the ego isn't always a positive thing, completely dissolving it. We need some level of ego there. Um, Having too much ego, obviously negative, so there's (laughs) gotta be balance in life with everything. I started a conversation with this girl and it did turn out that um, she was a very interesting person. She was just very quiet, um, very in her own mind, and she became the first girlfriend that I'd had Um, and later on the first lover that I'd had without being inebriated Mm. and it didn't take much for passionate love to flow between us without the use of any substances and for about two months I had this overwhelming feeling of empathy I still had some depression still had some anxiety but um, I felt that I was very much on the road to some sort of cure. I'd found some sort of medicine that actually worked for me. Instead of like alcohol that would open me up for a period of time and then I would feel like shit later, I'd taken something that would open me up to levels beyond anything else and then for weeks or months later I would feel very positive. So then I decided to try um, mushrooms at a far lower dose. probably a tenth of the dose that I'd had originally. Um, And I found that quite interesting. Um, I didn't see any entities or anything, um, but I had very beautiful positive experiences. Got to walk around the bush and view it from angles that I'd never been able to see before. I uh, tried LSD, Mm -hmm. I tried MDMA, which I find a phenomenal substance, but it's something that you should take very rarely. Mm I tried mescaline cactus. Um, very very grounding substance and I can see why they call it the grandfather. It felt like I had my grandfather sitting on my shoulder and like telling me things that I needed to hear but didn't always want to hear or showing me things that I needed to see or didn't always mm. want to see
1: in a very gentle loving way. As well. yeah, yeah.
0: Yeah. And um I started growing cactus and I started growing um, active DMT acacias from that age of about 15 years old and um, I had a very great respect for these things and then years later I became very versed in metal engineering, metallurgy and I studied um, a lot of pharmacology and uh, organic chemistry. and. In my mid-twenties, uh, I went to a lot of festivals and I also had a lot to do with the harm reduction scene because I saw that there was so many people out there taking substances. Um, by the age of 15, I saw that our whole drug law thing was an absolute farce. Like, why do we have alcohol out there that's legal and we're not allowed to smoke cannabis? Yeah. I've seen... I've done a lot more stupid things on legal alcohol before and after I was 18 than I have on any other compound, yeah. basically.
1: Yeah, I think every Australian will can relate to that.
0: Yeah, and the only other thing that I would say that would be more, um, dangerous or especially in combination is other things that affect the same area of the brain benzos, like Xanax and Valium, Mm. um, yeah the inebriation of these substances um, does not make you think about the, um what could come of a situation that you're getting in. A lot of people go and commit crimes on benzodiazepines such as Valium and Xanax and um, other GABAergic substances like alcohol and GHB and they end up in the lockup and they don't even have any memory of it the next day. So yeah, and I I saw police officers, I saw members of uh, the local parliament using illegal substances from age (laughs) 15, 16 So I I knew it was all a farce from that age. And um, after studying the toxicity of these substances, I just got more and more intrigued as to why this was happening. Um, I was very experienced with uh, psychoactive substances, so I decided to give back. And uh, my friend Michael Brennan was running a a group called Rave Save Queensland. Mm -hmm. And uh, he also started handing out pill testing reagent kits in the 90s and that. But uh, in in the mid-noughties, I started working, uh, doing harm reduction at big festivals like big day outs and uh, trance festivals and things, uh, trip-sitting people, uh, giving out advice on substances, giving people a safe space, trip-sitting, etc. And um, I got a lot of pleasure out of doing that. Um, I never wanted to speak on stage, I never wanted to have anything to do with um, illegal drugs in the spotlight, I Mm. think a lot of people are in this situation, whether they believe our laws don't work, um, whether they use these substances or not, I think a lot of people know um, that it's not right what's going on at the moment, the laws, Mm. but they just don't want to speak up, because a lot of people that speak up get... Get in a lot of trouble for it, um, even by their close friends, like trusted friends can be as bad as police at sometimes. Like not talking legally, but um, it's amazing what speaking up about these substances can do You can speak oh, yeah. to someone who's an alcoholic about cannabis and get treated worse than a junkie so. It's very interesting that people who used to give me a lot of shit about smoking pot and stuff as a kid have come up to me at festivals asking me for knowledge and Yes. Other things later in my life, so I, I find that quite funny. And um, <laughs> yeah. it, now yeah. they agree that like yeah. a- alcohol is is seriously poisonous, and a lot of people are looking into alternative medicines. Exactly,
1: exactly. Couldn't have put it better myself. Yeah.
0: But um, anyway, what got me into the spotlight massively and changed my outlook on things was uh, in the winter of twenty fifteen on the Queen's birthday long weekend. I was recovering from a hand injury. I'd been stabbed in the hand by an ex-partner of mine and in a very violent argument. And we had a daughter together and I decided to stay in the relationship for the daughter's sake. And my daughter was 11 months old and I said, I'm not working at the moment. So let's take, uh, we both had family and friends up in Queensland and we met up in Queensland. And I said, let's take my da- our daughter up to Queensland while I'm off work with this hand injury. And we're driving up to Queensland, we're on our second day's drive, and we're in northern New South Wales um, on the Newell Highway. we passed through moree at about 8 or 9 o'clock at night, and I decided not to stop. Our daughter was asleep comfortably in the back of the car, and we got to a town called Bogabilla, and I had a blown headlight, and the local cops pulled me over. And they asked me a couple of questions, asked for my license, breath-o'd me, and the police officer said to me, um have you been in trouble for anything in the past? Just be honest with me. And I said, I've got some minor drugs charges for cannabis, whatever. Mm -hmm. And he was really cool with that. He went back to the car for a while. And then another cop pulled in who was the pursuit car driver. And they decided that they were going to search my vehicle. And I knew I had some cannabis in my vehicle. And that's the only thing that I thought I had in my vehicle. So I didn't want my daughter and my partner to end up Going into I, I knew I was going to have that cannabis found, I knew I was going to be arrested for it, so I said anything you find in the car is mine. I want my daughter to be with her mother, mm-hmm. and um, yeah, I just I never wanted my if my uh, partner at the time to be arrested and have my daughter taken away from her father or her mother, so i didn 't want that to happen, so I said everything in the car was mine, and then my daughter and partner were free to go. They found the cannabis and then they're going through some bags in the back of the car and they found a plastic container it was a Hoyts uh, herb container and they've opened the top of it and inside it was a plastic bag and there were some mushrooms in there and they'd been in that bag for a very long time and they were not mine, that's as much as I'll say about it they were not mine but I'd said that everything in the car was mine so in that bag was 23 grams of dried Psyllocybe suburbanosa the bag weighed about 5 grams, and the police, instead of pouring the mushrooms out when they weighed them, they weighed them in the plastic bag. And they said, You should, when I um, said something about this, they said, You should be thankful that we're not including the weight of the plastic jar. So, the lo- I've never heard of anyone getting high from a plastic bag, but I know <laughs> of a lot of people getting caught with um, tiny amounts, especially of powdered substances, and then putting them on the scales in the bag and including more. the bag weight. So, after they, they knew nothing about psychedelics and the law, the police that arrested me, and it took them, I was sitting in a jail cell for about two hours, so I was, I was arrested at about 11 o'clock, and at 1 o'clock in the morning, um, the cop came over to me, and uh, he was super nice to me, and he said, I'm not allowed to let you go tonight, and I said, what? and he goes, you might as well have shot a kid while raping them in front of me, because you're looking at a 25 year jail sentence. And I went, 2.5 year jail sentence? And he goes, 25 years. And I thought, Fuck, that's longer than murder. Like, murder is 20 years. And I'm like, I've had some silly things in my car over the years, but you're telling me that I am actually going to go to jail. I'm not free to leave here on bail for 23 grams of mushrooms in a 5 gram bag and um, I didn't know that it was 23 grams of mushrooms until the test results came back I had no idea about the weight so I just knew it was 28.3 grams all up and then he showed me that the charges in New South Wales was 25 grams of psilocin and psilocybin the active compounds in mushrooms the main active psychoactive tryptamines in psilocybin mushrooms um, uh, above 25 grams was a seriously indictable offence and the maximum penalty was 25 years in prison and it was below one gram was considered above uh, personal use so even if it was one gram of mushrooms you could face up to 15 years and although the um, alkaloids would get extracted and they're roughly 1% active by weight, active compound by weight you have to go to jail in most cases, especially if you're from another state, because you're considered a flight risk. Um, I went straight to Moree cells that night. That was the closest um, holding cells there. I spent spent three nights in the cells at Moree. And then on the Monday morning, I went to court, and I thought, certainly I'm going to be bailed. It's just some mushrooms. Like, come on. And the judge is sitting there, and um, like... I could hear some other cases going on, I'm in the holding cells downstairs and I could hear like guy caught with three ounces of methamphetamine, um, definitely dealing violent stabbings and things, uh, bail, no worries, I'm like, oh cool, I'm gonna get bailed. Get up there, and these people are walking in off the street as well, they've been bailed to face court at a later date, I'm downstairs in a holding cell, it comes to my turn to go to court, I'm shackled at the ankles. I'm handcuffed around the wrist. I'm taken and put into a, a holding compartment there. And I have to stand for the judge. And, uh... They read out the charges. And they say it's uh, 28 grams. And they say that it's a uh, drug of dependence. And... That's the interesting thing about these psychedelics. Like... Anyone who knows anything about the pharmacology of psychedelics, um, putting them in the class of drug of dependence is about as unscientific as you can fucking get. Like, seriously, mate. Yeah. Try and take psychedelics, like, 10 days in a row and tell me that they're addictive. Most people are scared off from taking them for the second day from a single dose. (laughs) Anti-addictive, I think, (laughs) would be the right terminology. They're basically (laughs) anti-addictive qualities, if anything.
1: Exactly. I've met more people who've been scared for life from psychedelics than I
0: have people who are daily addicted to it, you know? like Took, took the words from my mouth, Tom. Took the words from my mouth. So, anyway, I, I had bail denied, even with offers of, like, uh, many thousands of dollars of money put up for bail uh, to um, stay at certain places... Um, There was a chance I heard that if I had some family in New South Wales, um, all of that was denied. I found out I didn't have any close family relatives in New South Wales anyway. But we tried everything to get bail. Mm. And it was just, it was mind-boggling. And then I had to accept that, okay, I'm no longer just going to be in a cell in Moree by myself. And um, I thought it was bad enough, uh, you had to eat uh, McDonald's for lunch there you're eating like a shitty breakfast and dinner was made at the local pub and then Tuesday morning I get put on a prisoner transport vehicle and I get sent to uh, Tamworth. Uh, Tamworth prison was built in the 1880s there is no heating or cooling at Tamworth Prison, it can get probably 40 plus in summer, and it can get down to about minus 7, so I'm there I'm in there in the uh, Queen's birthday long weekend in June, so it's freezing cold. Uh, I hadn't smoked cigarettes for about 3 years, I get offered a pack of White Ox, I start smoking cigarettes. Um, for
1: those don't know what White Ox is, do you want to what, a brief explanation? What White
0: Ox is uh, what they basically call prison tobacco because <laughs> it's the strongest tobacco in Australia. And uh, basically only really hardcore Aussie Ocker tradesmen <laughs> and uh, prisoners or ex-prisoners smoke this White Ox. It's very, very strong tobacco. Yes. <laughs> and um, yeah, I decided to start take up smoking again and um, I was instantly... Uh, I was asked and had a few cigarettes scabbed off me. I knew nothing about being in jail. And I also had this hand injury because I'd been stabbed in the hand recently and had the stitches taken out a few weeks earlier so I could barely roll a cigarette and people were looking at me and they could see that as a weakness. So I I had a shiv pulled on me and I was bashed for my tobacco the first day that I was in Tamworth Prison. And I thought, this is pretty shit. And And sorry to
1: cut you off, it's Tamworth is that a maximum security? No, thing, so,
0: so Tamworth prison um, they have two areas they have uh, an open prison population area okay. and then they have an area called SMAPS and I was told to go into the SMAP area and um, open population is uh, mostly uh, I hate to say this but it was mostly Aboriginal people mm-hmm. and it was very sad that the uh, population of areas like Tamworth are a few percent our First Nations brothers and sisters, mm. and the prison population is a majority, at least 50% or more, mm. um, of First Nations descent. That broke my heart. And then I'm in there for mushrooms, right? And then I start seeing people injecting drugs. Not only do I see people injecting drugs, which I've seen before, because I've worked in harm reduction a lot, so I've worked with street addicts and stuff. I've seen people injecting things around me anyway Um, really when you think about it, we all have, we've been to hospital, we've Mm. seen people injecting drugs but uh, I'm in a prison, right? Mm. there is CCTV or guards watching you all the time and there's a group of 20 people sitting down and they're all sharing the same syringe these people are injecting Suboxone Mostly, which is an opiate replacement drug that uh, you stick under your tongue, so, so sort of re- related to methadone, a very long acting uh, opioid, uh, so for replacing um, opiates like heroin. Mm-hmm. Um, so a lot of prisoners are on that. Eight milligrams of suboxone on the street is worth maybe 20 dollars. One strip in prison is worth $400 So some people stay in prison just to sell Suboxone Wow Also, pure methamphetamine in there Um, And cannabis, like a quarter of a gram of cannabis would be a 50 gram pouch of tobacco for a quarter of a gram of cannabis So, $50 I'm not going to say how money is spread in prison because I think people need these things in prison to be able to survive what goes on because you're not only getting bashed by the inmates You're also getting predated on by the people who run the prison Mm. And the other thing that blew me away was I thought Okay, I'm in prison, right? And these people running the... I'm in prison for drugs Non-addictive drugs, but it doesn't matter It comes up as something as a serious drug (laughs) offence Um, 250 grams of cocaine, heroin, methamphetamine is a seriously indictable offense. So if I had 249.9 grams of meth, coke, or heroin, I probably would have walked on bail that night. But because I had
1: the this bag weight,
0: the bag weight added onto my 23 grams of mushrooms. So I got some testing data back when I was in prison that said uh, 23 grams of fungus or mushroom material tested po- positive for or psilocybin. I remember sitting in prison being like, uh, shouldn't I be released right now? And ringing my solicitor and my solicitor basically being like, well, there's nothing we can do about it until your next court appearance. Mm. And um, I saw a lot of the, you call them screws, prison guards. So, I I understand that there needs to be jail for certain offences. Yeah. There's a lot of people I know that are (laughs) traumatised from serious violent offences, sexual offences. My mum is still traumatised to this day from sexual assault that happened to her from the age of two from a family member. Hmm. Still traumatised to this day. That person should deserves to be in jail. I don't think that anybody, no matter what the substance is, deserves to be in jail. And if most people, whether they use substances or not, knew what actually went on in prisons, and I'm talking first world prisons, not third world prisons, this happened in Australia. I always knew that prison would be fairly bad. I knew a few people that had been to prison in Victoria, but Victoria's got a lot better prison system than New South Wales. New South Wales is well known for having very bad prisons. Ah, right. Yeah, and um, yeah. they also don't follow the Human Rights Charter properly in New South Wales. Mm. But anyway, a few weeks went by, um, I had to really toughen myself up in there. I did a lot of meditation practices, I read a lot of books in there. And inside, I was just laughing at this cosmic joke that, fuck, I'm actually in prison for mushrooms. I'm in here for mushrooms. (laughs) And I know, I know that, so when I first got there, my cellmate was someone who had stabbed the shit out of the guy who was his cellmate beforehand. And then had set his uh, mattress on fire. So I was in a room that stunk of foam mattress um, smoke and the roof was covered in soot. And when I went to hide my tobacco on the first day, just before I had the shiv pulled on me and had my tobacco stolen anyway. Um, but tobacco's a currency. It's yeah. now been taken away from them, so it's worth even more money. But you're allowed to smoke in New South Wales prisons when I was in there in 2015. Okay. Underneath my mattress was all the blood from the person who'd been in there before me, who'd been stabbed. So, for the first few days, I didn't sleep at all when I first got into prison, the first few nights. I didn't sleep at all. Because any time I nearly fell asleep, the guy would just be pacing back and forward and getting really close to me, obviously trying to steal my stuff or see if I was actually asleep.
1: So, what kind of emotions were were coming up during that time?
0: Beyond fear. I've been scared. I've been in car crashes. I've had people pull knives on me. I've had people pull guns on me. Um... But, that's always been in a situation where I've been able to run mm. I had, Until that time, I'd never been locked In a tiny little space And then also, there's the derogatory thing of You have to take a shit in front of someone else as well The toilet is right beside your fucking bed mm. So that's in the first few days And then you, you s- slowly start to get institutionalized um, You start learning what to do and what not to do where not to stand, you have to shower outdoors in, in Tamworth, so well you have to walk through an outdoors area into a little area and it's the temperature of whatever it is outside and they unlock the doors at 8.30 in the morning after you've had your breakfast you walk out and the shower is a couple of degrees above comfortably comfortably hot. I'm about 5'6", 167 centimetres tall I had to crouch down in the showers or I'd be red like red from being too hot in the showers mm. and while you're showering people would be going through all your shit so you're trying to shower as quickly as you possibly can and it's one of the only times that you feel like you have this sort of escape um, and people aren't watching you and then you have to walk naked you have to get used to being naked in front of people mm. being strip searched by these like absolute sadist like an extremely racist. I could not believe the racism that I saw of the people that are working in these prisons mm. um, Prison guards bringing in drugs because it's worth 800% the street price Who cannot be corrupted by that right like honestly yeah. who cannot be corrupted by that? so anyway yeah. about two and a half to three weeks go by a golf ball size Post operative cyst starts coming up in my hand. It's being completely ignored by the doctors in the prison. And I have people in there that are hardcore um, criminals, and they're saying to me, like, dude, like, you need to ring the ombudsman about your hand. I'm like, no, like, I'll probably get bashed by the screws. They're like, man, like, that looks really bad. And these are guys that have got injection abscesses and things on <laughs> their arms. They're telling me that my hand's fucked up. That's when you know you've got a problem. That's when you know <laughs> right, you've got yeah. a problem. Yeah. And, um,. I ended up uh, going on the methadone program because it was the only pain relief I could get. I couldn't get enough cannabis to be able to um, cessate the pain. Mm -hmm. I hadn't slept for longer than 15 to 60 minutes. I had to steal a couple of blankets because it was below refrigeration temperature in my cell. So like 4 degrees Celsius is refrigeration temperature. In, in Celsius, That's crazy. Yeah. Um, a lot of nights because it's basically a couple of degrees warmer than what it is outside yeah. in your cell. And then I rang, I rang up the um, the ombudsman to make a complaint about my hand. And then that night, after calling the ombudsman at maybe five o'clock in the afternoon, because you were locked in your cell at five thirty with your dinner and not released again until eight thirty in the morning. I rang the Ombudsman, and I put in a complaint. Um, they've obviously rang the prison straight away, because at three o'clock in the morning, I was dragged out of the top bunk of my bed, and I just remember waking up being dragged by my feet, and then my head hitting the ground and being unconscious. And then I'm outside, getting hosed down in my jocks as I wake up, and it's maybe it's a warm night in Tamworth in, in June, or, or early July. Yeah, um, Maybe seven degrees. And I'm in my jocks getting hosed down by the guys who run the fucking prison.
1: That's what do you even say about it? And shit? then
0: I'm it must have been maybe three in the morning, right? And then at about close to twilight, six thirty in the morning, some other prisoners were brought out and they started laughing and saying, Man, you must have really pissed someone off, Dan, and like they knew who I was out there. Wow. And um they were like asking me for a smoke and stuff and I was rolling some cigarettes and throwing them over from my outdoors holding cell into their outdoors holding cell. So these are open air just like cages, brick walls, uh, dividing them and open air cages with a toilet there and you're put in these holding cells with uh, about 20 other people during the day or um, if anything goes down in the main prison you're brought out there. Um, also, if you're put into solitary, you might be put out there as well. The only positive experience I can remember from Tamworth prison, and I don't know where the LSD came from, but was uh, one night some LSD flooded the entire prison. And we got it Are into every single cell. And, and uh, just
1: before you continue, like it, it seems like the set and setting for LSD is not at its optimal. <laughs> no, no,
0: it's not. But uh, psychedelics can be an interesting escape. And if you if you watch the movie like The Sunshine Makers, Nick Sand, very famous LSD chemist. Yeah, yeah I know that. I haven't he, seen the movie. Though. Yeah, he yeah. speaks about giving LSD to people in prison when he was locked up, and how a lot of them said like This is an escape for me." Wow. And it li- literally was. It's not the best set and setting, I will admit that. But it was definitely an escape for me. I got to. Experience a state of serenity and bliss, while I had my freedom completely taken away from me, and I mm. thought having your freedom taken away from you would be the worst part. But the worst part of this prison was the food. I wouldn't feed it. I wouldn't feed it to a pet. I wouldn't feed it to a stray, a stray dog in the street. The food that I was given and the milk, right? The milk says this product contains milk. And it has all these other things in it, Tetra, whatever, it, like, it's absolute shit, mate. They can't poison. even just give you, it's poison. Yeah. And, yeah. um, yeah, so, what got me through through this experience, um, I got sent after calling the ombudsman, getting bashed by the screws, I got put on a prisoner transport vehicle, I was wearing shorts and a singlet and driven through the mountains to Cessnock Maximum Security Prison. And this prison has about 400 cells, it's a modern prison, and uh, I remember uh, someone saying, either a prisoner or maybe it was my solicitor at the time saying you don't want to end up in Cessnock, it's maximum, it's a high security facility, really bad people there, so I'm freaking out that I'm going to Cessnock, but it turned out to be a positive thing, because the guards were nowhere near as sadistic, because you're not in this uh, like outback country town like Tamworth. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Really racist. Like I saw prison guards going up to First Nations people because they had like the prisoner, prisoner, prisoner had a cold the week before. Prison guards got a cold. He'd go, "You fucking black cunt, you've given me this," and maybe even punch them or something, or just strip search them and make them like be- squat and cough in front of them. Just, and maybe because they've had I a think. fight with their wife, and then they'll walk up to whoever's the the big guy in the prison and give them some drugs to be sold, and then they would use their ways to get the money back to them. Which I'm not going to mention. Anyone yeah. who's been to prison knows how the money flows in there. Yeah, it's very interesting. Um, yeah. I met people that wanted to stay in prison because they can make more money in prison. They've got a roof over their head. They've got no family or friends outdoors. I can see why that yeah. happens. They become institutionalized. Yeah. And if you're on Suboxone and you, you're you on the highest dosage for eight meg strips a day or whatever it is, 38 meg a day, um, you can make thousands of dollars a day.
1: That's crazy amount of money.
0: Yeah, yeah. Wow. Massive, more, more money than most people can make on the street. And lower risk than being on the street as well. It's not like someone can come and kick your door down with a gun. (laughs) But anyway, I get moved to Cessnock Supermax Prison. Um, Finally, some doctors looked at my hand and said, like, yeah, it is pretty serious. Um, Started saying in court that I needed to go down to Victoria to see the operating surgeon to get some uh, surgery done on my hand. In Cessnock, modern prison, you had a shower in your cell at a decent temperature. There was a divider wall between the dunny and your cellmate, so you didn't have to watch each other shit. Um, uh, dunny means
1: toilet for the non-Australians. <laughs> to- toilet, so divider wall <laughs> yeah.
0: between the toilet, yeah. and yeah, so that was positive. We got <sighs> locked down for two days in Cessnock prison, and we didn't know why. Yeah. So we're, we're stuck inside for two days, and everyone's starting to get pretty wild. And, um, we found out through watching the news the night before we got released that, uh, two prison guards who obviously hadn't paid off the right people because everyone's corrupt in there. Everyone is corrupt in prisons. And police, if you're not corrupt, you get a desk job, mate. Mm. That That is basically a fact. You can take that to the bank. Yeah. The more that I look into this, the more I know that corruption is what is stopping this. Mm. The amount of money that is involved in the drug trade is so phenomenal that if we made drugs legal today, just like that, we would actually financially bankrupt the biggest... Um, banks and that in the world, we would bankrupt countries source countries of drugs, countries that make money off these Mm. we already know that like the American government is involved in a lot of illicit activities to do with substance use anyone who wants to look into black budgets should look into the work of a woman called Catherine Austin Fitz, very interesting knowledge about black budgets and um, yeah you'll see that a lot of this uh, Black market economy fuels a lot of things that are just boggling to the mind. Yeah. Well, it makes sense why
1: it's still prohibited. It's just, yeah. a, it's just a very sinister reason behind it. Yeah. It seems, anyway. You know, yeah, very it, just... <laughs> it makes
0: perfect sense. It's yeah. perfectly set up for those at the top. Yeah, perfectly right. set up for those at the top. They are bringing in cocaine testing, but it's taken them a long time. <laughs> like, yeah. uh, I, I can drive my car on cocaine in Victoria at the moment but I can't drive my car within 24 to 48 hours of having some MDMA or cannabis Weed, or yeah, amphetamine yeah. like uh, who are they are they picking on the lowest yeah, socioeconomic yeah, yeah. people or what? like yeah, it, exactly. it, seriously exactly. it, it is a joke and like yeah. I, I'm all for blood alcohol testing blow in something it gives you a rough reading of how impaired you are but these like lick tests that it's like imagine um alcohol's legal but instead of blowing in something that says you're under 0.05 and you're legal to drive you lick something and they say oh you've had some alcohol in the last 24ish hours therefore you're not allowed to drive your car for 48 hours and you have to front court in the next yeah. month and it could cost yeah. you some th- it's thousands of dollars in some exactly. states
1: doses everything um, yeah yeah,
0: yeah. So, it's very interesting. You have to be very careful with drug driving these days. Yeah. Um, so, anyway, I eventually got released from Cessnock Prison. Yeah. Um, two security guards, the reason we got locked down, was two security guards got caught bringing in cocaine and parts for handguns. There was mobile phones in this prison. There was some of the best cocaine I've had in the world, in this prison, because you don't take Whoa. in impure substances when you're taking them into prison. Highly pure heroin, really, really good cannabis, yeah. all of these things, and people were just getting high all day, because there's nothing else to do. And yeah. people are learning about, like, people go in there for um, being a, a methamphetamine dealer. Some kids being caught too many times is like 19 years old, OK, you're going to go to prison. And they come out an expert, an expert criminal, mm. and for the rest of their life, and even people for like just growing cannabis or whatever, for the rest of their life, they can't do anything, because basically, I've heard it said very well, and I remember reading this when I was probably 12, 13 years old, one of the most dangerous things you'll ever do with an illegal substance is get caught, mm. and I thought, how can this be true? Surely the punishment dished out for things like heroin and methamphetamine, which I really knew nothing about back then, um, are, are in line with the, the issues and the problems that these substances cause, but they definitely are not. No. And how come 250 grams is the seriously indictable amount of those substances, and the maximum penalty is 10 years jail? Mm. And for psilocybin, it's 25 grams of pure psilocybin. You're charged with mushrooms as 25 grams, but that would be 250 grams if you got caught with a quarter of a kilo of mushrooms, and I'm sure A lot of people have that amount in New South Wales, it's a hundred grams in Victoria so that would mean a kilogram of mushrooms if they extracted all of the active uh, alkaloids from those mushrooms you're facing uh, 25 years in Victoria if you're within 500 meters of a school they can add on another five years so murder is 20 years in Australia like sure, some serial killers and other people get longer than twenty years, but an average murder sentence in Australia is twenty years. Well, you obviously taking mushrooms is worse than taking another person's life. Like, oh, d- definitely, yeah, like, <laughs> like like taking psilocybin <laughs> mushrooms must be worse than killing yeah, someone. That's pure evil, man. Because yeah. otherwise, <laughs> otherwise the laws wouldn't be this way. Exactly, would they? No, no. of course not. Of course not. Of course not. <laughs> That's fucking like crazy.
1: 20 years for murder and 25... 25 years. For psilocybin. 25 for mushrooms. years. They grow yeah. everywhere.
0: Yeah, and I, I will give wow. you... I will give you the, uh, the the file to show you the Victorian laws. Because I sh- I showed you inside earlier yeah. the Victorian laws. We've got I'll, that. I'll
1: leave a link in the description box and all yeah, that if you guys want to have more information on that.
0: So, after four weeks in uh, Cessnock prison, I finally got released. Um... For two weeks, uh, for 10 weeks, bail to Moree, which is Mm -hmm. the town that I was first um, locked up in. And after 10 weeks, bail in Moree, I finally got two weeks bail back to Victoria to see the surgeon who originally operated to fix my hand. And um, when I got back to Victoria, I was meant to be there for two weeks, have my hand fixed, and then go back and face whatever in New South Wales. I had to make the toughest decision of my life. Um, I learnt that, basically, unless I committed a federal offence of murder, bank robbery, like tax fraud, something really serious, Mm -hmm. basically they couldn't come and get me. Mm. So unless I stepped foot in New South Wales, nothing could happen to me. So I decided to become an activist. And I decided that I wasn't going to go back to New South Wales. I got some good legal advice. Mm-hmm. Um, I was suffering what I now know to be severe post traumatic stress disorder. Yeah. Severe. And what is that pertaining to? Obviously, you know, being in prison, but. Yeah, what, be, being in prison. What um, about it was so ha, traumatic? Ha, so having to be on edge all the time. Yeah. Um, I ended up with some really good cellmates in the end, so it yeah. was only those first few nights. Um, mm-hmm. I ended up with some good cellmates. I had to do some things that I'm not proud of to get some good cellmates. Mm. I had to do some things I'm not proud of, but unless you do those things, you're going to be in danger. Yeah, it's survival. And it it wasn't survival. until I was in Cessnock that I slept for three hours in a night. Mm. I managed to get some um, Valium in prison. I managed to get some decent cannabis and it was above 7 degrees celsius like the average night was about 10 to 15 degrees celsius in Mm. your cell there instead of like 3 to about 7 degrees celsius Mm. I was shivering after stealing two blankets shivering through 15 to 60 minutes sleep in Tamworth prison No, no heating in a prison. No heating it's fucked. Ridiculous having to shower outside in below 10 degrees Celsius, yeah, completely normal, and um, being treated like you're absolute scum by people that are meant to be there to protect you and happily bash you just for fun. So, yeah, very interesting situation we've got going on there like yeah. uh, bullies and that working in the prison system. Um, you can easily that there was no help for like say that I was in there for an actual serious crime there was no help for me in there to help me be reformed right if 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 psilocybin really was uh addict a drug substance of dependence yeah 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 and i was addicted to that compound no, no mental health, Th- there work no mental all... health no workers in there. No. there was no mental health workers in there there was no priests in there the only decent information that i got given was a nurse showed us how to use a bleach agent to clean out a mm. dirty syringe okay so you wouldn't catch hepatitis no. if you wanted to use intravenously which i wow. didn't They showed us how to... Literally, a nurse showed you how to clean out a a dirty syringe. There should be clean syringes in jails. There's clean syringes outside of jails. They hand out condoms in jails. And rape is very rare in jail. There's usually a few gay guys in there that get paid to have sex with other men in jail. Okay. So that, that... that surprised me. I was I was scared of being raped for the for a very long time. Yeah. Um. When I first got moved to Tamworth, and then when I first got moved to Cessnock, I was freaked out about getting raped. But it didn't seem to be a thing. Maybe it is in other prisons. Okay. Um. But in this particular one, it was. But yeah, of An issue. But yeah. it, it it wasn't an issue. Um. Yeah. So, I get back to Victoria. Um. My ex-partner was a methamphetamine addict. Uh, I couldn't get custody of my child because I am now a fugitive of the state of New South Wales. Still to this day? Still to this day, I'm a fugitive of the state of New South Wales. So I'm facing that original sentence. My mushrooms are sitting in a vault somewhere in New South Wales and they they would be eventually tested. They would extract the alkaloids, but I've now done the runner so, I'm facing a charge for skipping bail as well. Mm. So, who knows? There is a. Um, finally, we're having a legal um, psilocybin study in this month, April, in Victoria. Melbourne. In, in Melbourne. My it, it's absolutely cool <laughs> phenomenal. Yeah. So, um, yeah, we're uh, doing a clinical study, which is just. So amazing. This has been happening overseas for years. We're, like, We're a bit behind Australia politically, it seems. So, right? so in, in 2017, during the uh, Entheogenesis Australis uh, Outdoor Symposium, some of the best um, clinicians in the world... Mm. Uh, who do these legal studies in other countries were saying we're we're 17 years behind. So basically we're two decades behind even the United States in like MDMA (laughs) therapy, psilocybin therapy, LSD therapy, uh, ayahuasca as well, like yeah. Yeah and
1: here you are getting locked up Here I am (laughs) getting locked
0: up. And it's funny I've spoken to people in the United States that have had larger amounts of psilocybin mushrooms than me in certain states of the United States and haven't faced as serious uh, penalty as I have in New South Wales.
1: That's insane. That's because when and- I heard your
0: story, man, it just blew my mind that this is happening... This
1: era in this country is just like... How? Yeah, it was... I-, I thought Australia was supposed to be one of the more, more like e- like more easygoing countries. You know, yeah. they don't you know, they don't care too much about drug possession as long as you're not selling it. You know, first
0: major like uh, syringe in pro- program yeah. for injecting drug users. Uh, first inject drug injecting center. Um, Doesn't make sense. D- David Caldercot, who uh, did the the legal pill testing uh, recently, did did the um, the. The uh, one at Groove in the Moo last year. I think there's another one happening this year. Uh, he did some testing back in the 90s, I believe it was in South yeah. Australia. D- David Caldecott and they shut him down. So we, we were very progressive for a while. Interesting polarity. And I then feel. we did yeah. a massive backflip. Yeah. And now there's a lot of states that are like getting tougher on cannabis again. Like, really? Like ser- seriously? Like it's a plant. <laughs>
1: So I guess I should be very grateful that I live in Victoria because I... I've never been stressed in my life about mushrooms and yeah. weed, only um... because in my mind I thought, oh, worst case scenario,
0: I get busted by a cop, they're not going to seriously put me away for something like this, right? Here's an interesting you know? admission, and, and I've heard this from so many people that I have to say this, Tom. Yeah. Um, I've been out hunting mushrooms more than a few times. <laughs> One, once or twice? <laughs> With police going past me and either waving at me or stopping and being like, "Hey, I hope you're picking the right ones because, like, we heard that the wrong ones could seriously injure you." Wow! And they—they they, they can't be bothered with—they—they they know, like, yeah, just like tripper, my, my like, one of my good mates is a cop, and even he says, like,
1: it's we don't have like a mushroom department. We don't care about that kind of stuff. I, like. I
0: know. I've I've met a fair few cops that yeah. have used illicit substances or just can't be bothered. That haven't used illicit substances, most of them have. Yeah. Um, A lot of them, like Sunshine Police Station recently, a lot of them have been arrested for bashing dealers and taking all of their drugs and then (laughs) on-selling them. I think they nearly had to shut down Sunshine Police Station. Sunshine's a suburb of Melbourne in Victoria, um, one of the capital major cities in Australia. So, um, yeah, like, corruption's everywhere. It's very interesting that police officers as well, the, some of the latest statistics, it's been a while since I've looked this up, but, like, you're lucky to get drug tested once every one to two years as a police officer, and you're the one enforcing these laws. <laughs> <laughs> and, like, back in my hometown, wow. like... like
1: Yeah, it's a good point. In yeah. my
0: hometown, uh, the, the footy team that had all of the police officers at it, there was a cop who was well known for bringing in the hash brownies if they won and they commonly won the grand final every year there was a well-known cop for bringing them in and like yeah big deal. even they know it's no big deal yeah. i remember like as a teenager I'd, I'd go to watch the surf and like i used to use a lot of cannabis i now rarely use any substance at all but um I was smoking weed watching the sets come in and then I look to my right and there's two cops sitting there looking at me and I'm like, fuck. They roll down their window and they're like... I roll down my window and they're like, what are you doing, mate? I'm like, uh, just looking at the surf. And they're like, just looking at the surf, eh? They come over and I had what's called a springer. Yeah. Most yeah, Aussies yeah. know what a springer is. Yeah. So it's a uh, fruit juice bottle with a bit of rubber tubing on top. Very classy uh, way to smoke cannabis. Yeah, yeah. Very classy way not to smoke (laughs) cannabis. And uh, they smashed the bottom of my bong, they pulled out my mix, and they drove away. They just said this is a very stupid place to smoke cannabis. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, And I I hear this a lot. I remember driving around in South Australia many years ago when the cannabis laws were very lax over there, back when I was like maybe 18 or 19, and my friend had just chopped up in the passenger seat and we get pulled over cuz i've got a blown tail light and my friends like holding this chopped up weed and the cop goes why is your friend freaking out so much <laughs> and i'm like i don't want to say this but he's holding cannabis and he's like oh you're allowed to have a couple of plants in south australia so it's all cool like it's all this is all about the tail light tell your mate to like chill out and, and he, he couldn't believe it we forgot that we we're over the border because we, we grew up so close to the South Australian border yeah yeah uh,
1: not to uh, diverse too much in point, but just a person will knows <coughs> is, is it still legal to have
0: plants in South Australia I don't or? believe it is I don't believe it in is I'd need to look it up some, I get mixed reviews you're not allowed to have anything in Victoria uh, <laughs> that there, there is some uh, government initiatives to have like uh, CBD and legal cannabis and stuff but it's thousands of dollars a month when anybody even people who don't use cannabis usually have a fairly good idea of what the prices are for these things yeah, 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 because course, course, yeah, yeah. one in however many people are drug users so all of us police mates everyone knows what the rough prices of an ounce mm. of cannabis or a, a gram of MDMA or whatever it is okay. R- roughly okay but so
1: so yeah, so um so you come back you're feeling
0: like you know traumatized from this whole experience and they're like where where did you go from there so from there i i um i dealt with my my partner having severe methamphetamine addiction
1: mm-hmm.
0: i tried to keep myself together and i was just um smoking a bit of cannabis drinking a little bit taking some benzodiazepines yeah. and trying to look after my daughter who turned 1 while i was in prison mm. and uh I couldn't get anywhere with my partner. Um, She had other partners and things. I wasn't interested in sex at all, I was so depressed, I wasn't interested in having sex with anyone, not her, not anyone else. I was having all these accusations made about me. Um, A lot of my friends stopped talking to me because I'd gone to prison, Yeah, so I was outcasted by some friends. I'd already lost a lot of friends due to being in this relationship. That was a um, relationship that I got into while I was very ungrounded.
1: And and how did you feel about losing all your friends? Obviously (laughs) shitty, but like what kind of, you know, Like, did you feel betrayed and, you know?
0: I felt betrayed, but in that moment, my most important thing was my daughter. My flesh and blood, that was my most important thing. And I tried to look after my daughter the best I could. And then, um, so, I got back to Victoria. It must have been around early September So I was in prison all up for seven and a half weeks I was on bail for ten weeks in New South Wales and then I came back to Victoria sometime in September Uh, 15th of December um, My partner took my daughter down to apparently get some paracetamol Mm -hmm. and I heard nothing for a couple hours I started to worry I've had a lot of friends die in car accidents I had a partner, years ago, die in a car accident and started to worry. Um, No one knew where she was when I rang mutual friends, and I now know some of those people were lying. But um, she'd gone to a a refuge center for abused women and said that I'd been bashing her. And I now know this was just so she could get a Centrelink payout. So then I didn't have my daughter to look after anymore. I rang some police. And uh, the police called me eventually after me calling them many times and said this is where your partner is Uh, we've spoken to her many times Um, she said a lot of things about you most of them don't make any sense Mm -hmm. so we believe that they may not be truthful at this point and we'll look into it but uh, right now your daughter's safe that's all I needed to know and your partner's at this center and that's when I first got to completely let go of, the stress of being in prison, the stress of having to look after my daughter after getting out of prison and trying to hold it together. Mm. And that night, um, I got some opiates together, had a shit ton of opiates, had a shit ton of benzodiazepines, I had some Rohypnol, Flunitrazepam, it's an extremely potent sedative hypnotic um, benzodiazepine. And uh, from that night... For about 18 months, I did I did uh, prescription opiates for a few months, and then I switched to heroin because it's much cheaper. And for about three months, I increased my use, and then I got to a point where I basically did nothing but wake up from being passed out on sedative hypnotics, really strong alcohol, loads of cannabis, and using heroin. And I knew I was severely addicted because every time I woke up, I was shaking so hard that mm. even grabbing a can of alcohol, I would be like cracking the lip, lid open. And I'd never had a serious... I'd abused things in the past, but I'd never had an addiction. Right, right. I'd, no, had, no mi- serious I'd serious. had mild withdrawals from like being in Canada at college for months and like drinking alcohol every single day and coming mm. back and shaking a bit. But I'd never been like this Mm -hmm. So it got to a point where um, I went from using nasally heroin To uh, starting to use intravenously And I was waking up and I was taking 8 rohypnol tablets uh, About 3 10 strips of 5 milligram diazepam So Valium tablets Mm -hmm. The average dose is like 1 to 2, 10 milligrams Okay. So I'm taking 30 of these tablets. I'm taking eight Rohypnol tablets. The average dose of Rohypnol, and that's only pre- that's a Schedule eight substance up there with opiates and everything. So it's it's in a Schedule above most benzos. Xanax has recently okay. been put up there.
1: Well, because for those who are listening at home, most people refer to like Schedule one, two, and three
0: in Australia. It's a little bit. Yeah. Reversed, so it's a, Is it, right? It's a bit reversed. Yeah. 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 So in Australia the highest schedule is schedule 11 and that's considered to have no the medical one, yeah. value it, whatsoever so that's
1: schedule 1 in America basically and that's right?
0: that would be sh- schedule 1 in America i believe yeah yeah yeah. And Again, that's and where suicide and all the psychedelics... Yeah, all the psychedelics are up there. In cannabis? The, in the Surely not 11. these days, right? Um, I'm not sure. I think cannabis depends on the state. Okay. And, and all the laws are different from state to state. Okay. I know a person who's been arrested and charged for 80 grams of mushrooms in, in Tasmania. Uh-huh. And um, he was charged under some old law where psychedelics were looked at as um, basically like a suicidal tendency type thing. Oh. So he was charged with some really old draconian law yeah. of like wow. trying to take your own life and it was yeah. some like fine and weird <laughs> weird weirdly word worded charge from like trying. a de- decade ago i met him in 2017 maybe kill his ego yeah yeah, <laughs> yeah. so <laughs> like, so, so yeah may, maybe <laughs> yeah so it was seen as like yeah a wow. way, way to commit suicide so tasmanian law is very different to victoria okay yeah, yeah. um if i'd gotten over the border i believe i was only 10 to 20 kilometres, maybe even less than 10 kilometres south of the Queensland border Mm -hmm. So probably if I floored it and got into Queensland I think it's 100 grams in Queensland So yeah, make sure that you know the laws in your state and territory because they are so different Yeah. And yeah, in Victoria, as I know from my own experiences and that of so many other people the police don't want to deal with it unless you're at a music festival (laughs) <laughs> where they're kinda given orders they need to like crack down because they're doing that at all music festivals now. But on average the police just they don't wanna ruin someone's life for picking psilocybin mushrooms. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And, and I, through,
1: a lot of cops I don't know I don't want to say a lot, but I'm sure some cops would understand that drug addiction is a medical
0: problem, not a criminal problem, so it a, makes sense. A, no a lot sense. of them do. Like um now like I, I helped to push for the injection center in um North Richmond back in 2017 and yeah, the the police were so happy that we were out there pushing for it because they were sick of being the first responders because the ambulances were so busy. Mm. They shouldn't have to be first responders Mm. and they also shouldn't have to be working on any sort of drug problem at all. It should be a medical issue and where it has been medicalized We've seen ages of first use drop. Like you look at places like Portugal, I think the age of first use of all substances has gone up by about two years on average. Wow! So for cannabis and everything, I think cannabis was roughly 15 and now it's 17, and other substances, like harder substances, if you want to call them that, um, we're about 17 and now they're in the higher teens. Okay. And overall use has dropped, and the uh, amount of heroin addicts before they legalized personal heroin use is now at a small percentage of what it was before it was uh, legalized, for, well, decriminalized yeah. for personal use amounts. Wow, yeah, that's crazy. Yeah, I was doing uh, yeah. crazy amounts of sedative drugs yeah all sedatives i was not taking any sort of substance unless it sedated me and mm. helped me forget about everything that was going on in my life yeah um i felt that there was no way forward in my life whatsoever and one night um i had a lot of uh very very strong um honey oil butane extracted cannabis oil like mm. very 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 strong cannabis sounds delicious I'm vaping a bunch of it and I forgot to take my Rohypnol before I started vaping it I hadn't had any heroin and I've just fallen asleep and when you have a lot of these sedatives you just don't dream Mm. I I don't think I had a dream for more than 12 months straight Mm. but anyway I woke up from a dream At maybe 4 or 5 a.m. And I was definitely in withdrawals from the benzos. Because I hadn't had any of my opiates or benzodiazepines from the night before. But I was in this dream where I was walking through this massive field of Suburganosa mushrooms. (laughs) They're just such beautiful mushrooms. And I kept hearing this voice saying, take the dose. And I thought... I've woken up on the couch, I'm in severe withdrawals, and usually the first thing i do is like grab a can of alcohol, yeah. throw down some benzos, when those shakes go away in 15 minutes, inject some heroin. Mm. Instead I sat there, and I started focusing on my dream like I've been taught to do in the years before. Um, used to be a very with it person. I used to use a fair bit of substances, but I was a very hard worker as well. Mm. Um, very positive person in the community and a lot of that got taken away from me from being thrown in jail for a naturally occurring thing but anyway I woke up from this dream and I thought well the only thing that take the dose could mean would be take the dose that you were originally arrested and charged for because I had completely fallen out of connection with psychedelics. I hadn't had a psychedelic for more than two years. Because I hadn't had them for several months before I'd been arrested. Yeah.
1: Outside of cannabis, if you outside of that, cannabis,
0: yeah. which is cannabis, which is definitely a psychedelic, and I'd had that LSD in prison. But um, other than that, definitely no like um, entheogens that were natural and where I tend to get my most healing from. Yeah, yeah. I so right. yeah. I decided to. Take the dose that I was charged with, and because I was on these potent sedatives, um, it was definitely dulled a bit. Um, but I took 28.3 grams of Psilocybe suberginosa mushrooms, and I don't re- recommend that anybody does these, does mm-hmm. this at all. They're in the top three-ish potency mushrooms in the world. Yeah, I can vouch for that. <laughs> um, yeah, anyone who doesn't believe that can look them up. But um, anyway, I uh, decided to grind up 28.3 grams of mushrooms that I weighed exactly. I ground them up, I made a golden milk, I poured it onto them like cereal, and I just sat there slowly eating them after I'd eaten about 3 or 4 stramonium seeds because I knew I was going to be very ill. And the scopolamine and stuff, these tropane alkaloids that are in nightshades can stop the nausea and I knew I was going to have a lot from this dose. So over about half an hour to an hour, I slowly ate an ounce of mushrooms. Very potent mushrooms, almost double the potency of psilocybe cubensis, the most common mushrooms. So basically you could say I had roughly 50 grams of cubensis mushrooms.
1: (laughs) People freaking out listening to this, right? They're like, what?
0: (laughs) So, anyway, I sat there and by the time I finished that bowl, I felt the first um, positive tingle in my body in well over 12 months. I felt that kind of sense of impending doom that you get from any high-dose experience, especially these potent wood-loving mushrooms. Anybody who's had strong wood-lovers in America, uh, Psilocybe azurescens, people know, uh, yeah, these (laughs) mushrooms that are high in Bayer Cistin and other alkaloids. Very, uh, strong sense of impending doom when they're coming on. Especially at heroic or above heroic doses. Um... Yeah, I, I felt that in the background, but also felt um, some positive senses and just this sense of familiar... familiar yeah, familiarity that I should be in this space right now, and why the fuck have I not done this sooner? Mm. Things around mm. me started to change colour, I started to laugh, my body was shaking like fuck because I haven't had my benzos. I haven't drank my alcohol. I haven't I had my heroin. About halfway through the trip, I had to take some diazepam. I had to have a tiny little line of heroin because I was so addicted that I was going to just be vomiting and just fitting. Right. you can well, you can risk yeah. seizure from the withdrawal of yeah. these um, prescription substances, opiates like it that they can be prescribed. Um, all the benzos I was on were prescription substances mm. that I was abusing. Um, yeah, so because I know about the pharmacology I did that not because I wanted to but because I was scared of dying mm. and It's the only trip that matches my first trip mm. I've had doses of 7, 15 maybe even 20 grams a lot of like fresh mushroom doses of this same species of 200 grams so about 10% of the fresh dose mm-hmm. dried weight and uh, still this is the only experience that compares with my original first ever experience with uh, psilocybin mushrooms wow Um, powerful it showed me that I still had good inside me Mm. it showed me that I could still get past everything that I'd been through Mm. it showed me that deep down I still was loving that the things that I'd gone through could happen to anyone. Mm. Um, It showed me that maybe it was a positive thing. I've been told by people for several years, because I've moderated, administrated so many online forums and things, Um, I've sort of been the go-to guy for information in a lot of circles for a long time, and um, maybe I should have been speaking about these things earlier. So it's very rare that someone would say this but I actually thank mushrooms for sending me to jail now. I think that mushroom sending me to jail was their ultimate lesson in the end. Mm. Because through this all happening I ended up um meeting groups such as the Australian Psychedelic Society. People who run that group are Nick Wallace mm-hmm. um Ash Blackwell, who started Students for Sensible Drug Policy. Um, Then there's other people, like um, Dean Wright, who's in the Australian Psychedelic Society. Many, many beautiful people. I met people from um, Dancewise, which is a harm reduction group in Victoria, very similar to the Rave Safe that I'd done up in Queensland for several years. And um, I started speaking on stage. I started speaking at events, I started putting a face after speaking since the age of 17. I'd been Hmm. speaking under pseudonyms online and using a lot of encryption and being scared shitless of ever speaking out. And so many people I think are in this position where they know these laws don't work and they have a lot of knowledge and they know that they can argue with any politician out there, any police officer out there, they have all of the knowledge out there to argue and win that fight, Mm. win that argument and I know I do and I know a lot of people out there do, I know you do Tom you do some excellent things online, there needs to be more people like you out there there needs to be more people like me out there, there needs to be more people like those beautiful souls that I mentioned and so many others, I I could speak for a long time yeah. Then there's Thanks. people from prism like dr. Martin Williams. Yeah people from EGA Martin Williams is part of that Michael Bock, um, yeah. Melissa Warner I mean Bock, yeah. Yeah. Melissa Warner who's running mind medicine Australia Shout out the, the shout out there are so <laughs> many beautiful people out there doing beautiful things right now and when I went to prison There was not a thing in the papers about microdosing. There may have been on the 6th or 7th page. You Mm. didn't see it on television at all. But from about 2017 onwards, which is like... It was early 2017 when I did Iboga and I stopped using opiates. Mm. And anyone who's done um, Ibogaine knows (laughs) that that is one harsh teacher... (laughs) Yeah, <laughs> I stopped taking it's like a that. I don't blame you for that one. Um, yeah, so. Um, yeah. That's crazy. It has actually put me in a position. It has actually given me back my self worth, my self love, um, creativity. I've got a beautiful partner that I'm blessed with that I don't have to hide anything from. She knows my absolute history of everything, her family knows my history. Mm. Um, I just really feel blessed. It was a horrendous experience and no one deserves to go through that experience at all. But I feel blessed and so many people, like I currently um, administrate a mushroom group on Facebook um, called P-M-A-N-Z. Yeah. Psilocybin mushrooms of Australia and New Zealand. It's the third incarnation. Yeah. <laughs> um, so many people message me all the time and say thank you so much for giving me the information. Like putting, because I'm very well known for putting up 300 word replies to something, a little <laughs> question that someone's <laughs> asked. Very common for me to do because I like to really explain things, yeah. especially when it comes to mushrooms. And um, I really look forward to. Spreading my knowledge more Mm. Because I've got a lot of knowledge to spread now and I've spoken to so many politicians I've spoken to a lot of activists and I'm going to keep doing this Until the laws change or until I'm dead and I know that My daughter will see this one day and I hope that when my daughter sees this That she will look back and say wow that was some crazy laws. Yeah when my father was taken away from me and sent to jail yeah. and that we can all look back one day and take our psychedelic substances because we all have access to drugs all the time. All the time. Let, let's more be honest. Now, more now than ever More before. now than ever before. Yeah. You can be in Coober in Central Australia <laughs> and you can order 100% pure heroin, uh, LSD, anything you can imagine, straight to the center of Australia or Alaska, wherever the hell you like want, that. Yeah. like that.
1: As long as you've got,
0: or... you got money, you can get it there. It doesn't matter where you are, you can get any compound. And there's a lot of people out there that have drug problems. Mm. But there's a lot more people out there that use drugs as tools. Yeah. Whether that just be for relaxation, even if they are toxic compounds, I know a lot more people that use drugs respectfully, do not abuse them, than I have ever. Ever met addicts in my life, and I've met a lot of addicts, Mm. but I know a lot of people in my outer, in my wider circles that use substances that have never come to harm from those substances, or the harms that they have had from those substances are very minor.
1: Right. Well, like you said, they're tools depends on how you use them. Like, why don't we make lollies illegal? There's no positive aspect to that, and then De- we're selling it to kids. Like, how De- is that?
0: Definitely. Like, um, if we want to look at up, negative actually. chemicals... Yeah, man. Like, Color
1: 1ABC, and they've got like these 50 fucking little yeah, words look, that you can't look pronounce. Look at the and... back
0: of, of most um, processed foods, and unless you've got a degree in chemistry, <laughs> yeah. you usually have no freaking idea what you were reading no. there.
1: And there's no long-term studies either, so what we know now is can be different to what the reality is 20 years later. Absolutely. You know? and like, But no, so it's mushrooms, that's what you should get locked in prison for. You know? yeah, yeah, you should
0: go to prison for mushrooms when we actually like have addictive substances around <laughs> us that are scripted to us all the time. Yeah. A four-year-old <laughs> child, so mushrooms affect serotonin receptors a subgroup of serotonin receptors i won't go deep into that that's for another a, yeah, no, another edition another, another another but um ssri antidepressants affect serotonin people have to take these things every day and I believe it's four years old in Australia and America that you're allowed to give a child, a four years old, four years SSRI antidepressants. Me? And we know that these cause suicidal ideation yeah. in, a, in a lot of teenagers. I know a lot of a lot friends of that have, have taken these things. Like a, lot, a lot of mass cho- shooters have been on antidepressants, antipsychotics. Mm-hmm. Um, we know that the lifelong... Um, Instances of uh, of negative thoughts and things in psychedelic users is lower than the general population. So,
1: I could, so I why com- doesn't I could. the general
0: population all become psychedelic users? Not everyone should take psychedelics, just like not everyone needs to take needs to eat certain foods. Mm-hmm. Not everyone should be able to drive because some people have some sort of issue that they can't drive a car. But think about this. The most dangerous thing that the average Australian person will do every day is drive a car, or be near a vehicle, or be in a vehicle. Cars kill more people than basically anything
1: in this country. Dude, I have this vivid memory of seeing this motorcycle crash into a car next to me and blood pouring out of his head like a fucking faucet. You know what I mean? They're death machines, man. They they are
0: death machines, but they are legal because they get us from point A to point B Quicker than we can do yeah. it on foot or on a because we deem on it it's worth the collateral. It's right? worth yeah. the collateral. Yeah, and we allow alcohol. Is do we de- deem that alcohol is worth the collateral? <laughs> no, <laughs> because we know now, just recently, alcohol has surpassed cigarettes in Australia, because really, yeah, the amount of people that have sus- uh, stopped smoking cigarettes um, in the last decade or so. Alcohol has is now causing more harms than cigarettes. Education. Because through through education. Alcohol,
1: there are no anti alcohol ads. Not none that I've seen. It's actually usually like no, no.
0: And that's pretty good. Yeah, it's (laughs) very interesting that um alcohol is in that group of um substances that affect GABA. Yeah. And a lot of people should look into these substances because um like benzodiazepines like Valium also affect GABA. And it's only these substances. Opiate addiction um, can kill you through overdose, but it's very difficult and basically impossible to die from opiate withdrawal. You'll wish that you died, Yeah. yeah but yeah, alcohol yeah, yeah. withdrawal can kill you through seizures, and benzodiazepine withdrawal can kill you through seizures, and you can be prescribed benzodiazepines fairly easily. It's getting harder, but... As it's getting harder, there's more potent black market benzodiazepines out there. Yeah, of course, because anywhere there is a market for something, um, there will be a supply chain made for. Exactly. Yeah, and you don't go into a store and buy a carton of alcohol, and have the person say, "safest to only drink one to two of these an hour, mate." <laughs> They just take your money and give you the box. It was very interesting at a festival earlier this year. Um, I spoke to some police officers. Yeah. And um, I wanted them to sign a pill testing petition. Or well, a drug testing petition. And they couldn't do it because they were on duty. But they all agreed it was a positive thing. That substance should, sh- should be getting tested. Mm-hmm. One of them even went further and stated they should be legal. I'm sick of not being able to work on cases of rape and, like, serious crime, theft, and all these, like, really actual crimes, that have, um... victims. Because let's face it, most drug use is a victimless crime, and most crimes that are related to drug use are due to their Ill- illegality. hmm Theft and everything. So even if you don't use these th- things, you should want them to be legal because you're paying higher taxes. People... Usually are robbing your house or breaking into your car because they have a drug addiction Mm. There's not many people that are doing these things that aren't trying to fund a habit. Mm. There are a subgroup of people that just have a tendency to want to steal things, but that's that's another matter but most people that are trying to break into cars and making in houses and whatever else and rob people on the street which has happened to me as well at gunpoint Usually, are suffering from addiction, Mm. and a lot of these compounds that are sold for hundreds of dollars a gram are only worth cents per gram.
1: (sighs) Fucking insane, man!
0: It is fucking insane. We seriously are living in an insane world at the moment.
1: Yeah.
0: Alcohol, a highly addictive toxic solvent, legally available in any amount that you want. Over the counter from the age of 18, when the brain is still developing at that age, alcohol, like available over the counter at the age of 18, most people are using it well below the age of 18, cigarettes as well, mm-hmm. in the highest risk factor of any danger to a person or the people surrounding those people as well. The violence from alcohol is phenomenal. The, uh, oh, yeah. the, loss, the loss of pr- productivity at work for people being hung over is phenomenal. The increased productivity from psychedelic mm. use, we're seeing that right now with microdosing in Silicon Valley and places like yeah. that. Which are, a of,
1: yeah, a lot of billionaires and millionaires are like very open about taking these psychedelics yeah, to give them yeah. perspective.
0: And, which I also think is slightly negative because they're taking away from the high-dose aspect there yeah. and they're making it a productivity thing. Which is Trivi- bit,
1: like trivializing Yeah, it, trivializing
0: yeah, yeah, yeah. the compound. But, but Yeah, it, there's
1: always a negative side to, you know, putting something in the mainstream and yeah. I've seen that with psychedelics themselves. Yeah, yeah but... there is.
0: Like, yeah. There, there's, there's a lot of people that are getting hurt from going and taking heroic doses because they want to have ego death at the moment. Yeah, exactly. And like they're it's not like... reading up enough, they're just like hearing wow, psychedelics, I can see all these things and I can meet entities and then they're going could... and having a massive dose of DMT or or LSD and not realising this thing lasts for like 12 hours and... or even mushrooms last what? for 4 and to what, 6 hours. And what's hours. the thing about ego death? Your ego comes back. <laughs> it's gonna it, come back. It like, comes it? back, and sometimes and a, lot, a lot of times stronger. A lot yeah. of times it comes back stronger. Reinforce, like, reinforces the like, ego. Like, it's
1: kind of like um um. The I use the analogy ego of lifting dicep. weights.
0: Gosh. Yeah,
1: just and then it gets destroyed. The muscles get ripped apart, and then yeah. it has to. Sort of, oh fuck! I better be stronger for the next load. Gotta buff
0: up for yeah. the next one, mate. So like, yeah, I'm totally yeah.
1: spiritual. I, you know, <laughs> exactly.
0: Yeah, like this Sh- Charles Manson used a lot of psychedelics. <laughs> There you go. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's a good point. Yeah, and uh, they they tried to militarize these things, and they haven't MK been able Ultra, to. Ultra. Yeah. Yeah.
1: But yeah, we can go into all that. <laughs> that. Um, yeah. For those listening at home, can you just give them any advice for maybe someone who is going through legal trouble, or is like terrified of the law? Of maybe someone wants to take mushrooms, but they're too scared of the law. Like, you know what I mean? Like, what would you say to them?
0: So, to anybody who wants to take any psychoactive substance, especially psychedelics, I tell them that they should research them first. Research them as much as possible. Um, I am so grateful that when I was offered these things so many times around me, Mm. I decided not to do it. Even though I saw probably an 80% chance of like positive outcomes, I still saw that negative there. Mm. Um, I highly recommend uh, having some sort of Flow state practice. Meditation um, meditation's very difficult for some people. Yeah. I found um, like using poi or staff, like fire twirling type things. Okay. Yeah. Drumming, anything that has a rhythm, dancing, these are all flow state things.
1: Yeah, like creative imp- Creative, sort of creative
0: outlets, yeah. outlets. Very, very good for when you get stuck in those which can be very common for first timers, thought loops. Yeah. on psychedelic <laughs> substances. I've been through those. And when you uh, end up in a thought loop when um, time no longer exists or it feels like time has stopped, you can feel like you're going to be there forever. But um, <laughs> remember that these things always end. They always end. Yeah. And a lot of the most difficult experiences can turn out to be the most positive experiences.
1: Yeah, I, I can attest to that. There's, I've had quite a few experiences where you look from the outside I'm like, oh my god, that sounds horrible, why would you say this is a positive thing? But It's hard to tell yourself why you're in it, but most times, especially if you
0: integrate, it definitely can turn out to be a beautiful thing. Definitely, and that integration, integration, I I, I cannot recommend integration enough. And uh, at the moment, the Australian Psychedelic Society is doing integration circles. Um, They're mostly doing them in Melbourne at the moment, and they're doing them up in Sydney. the more people that we get along to these things and you can learn how to integrate psychedelics yourself or if you're someone who does psychedelic integration Mm. um, I would love to connect with you many other people would love to connect with you and even if you don't want to be known look after your friend circle make sure that if your friend has had a hard experience talk them through it Mm. help them to integrate it because I've met people that I've helped integrate experiences from five or ten years ago mm. and then I've seen them one or two years later um, and been thanked for it. So integration is so important, but mm. definitely knowing your substance. Yeah, Because we're looking at, especially with compounds that aren't from the earth, LSD and stuff, it's a black market. Mm. They, there have been uh, substances that are being sold as LSD or MDMA that are quite dangerous substances. The MBMs, yeah. Yeah, N-bomb type substances, uh, paramethoxyamphetamine, and so many other things. And um, I'm really hurting for the hurt kids, the families of the people that have died for this absolute disgrace that just should not be happening. Mm. Shouldn't be going on anymore.
1: It's 2019 people, I know. It's
0: 2019. Many, many years ago, there was a statement made, I forgot, forget which um, American politician or, or, or government worker said this, um, they couldn't get um, people to just hate the blacks for no reason, and they couldn't get people to hate the hippie, hippies for no reason, but if they could get black people associated with heroin use, mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. hippies associated with cannabis use, then they could take them out. And they use that
1: exactly because they can't lock you up because of your group type, but they can lock you up because of your drug of choice, right? Exactly, exactly. It's very smart in an evil way, but and even the
0: word marijuana. Yeah, please don't use the word marijuana, people. Use the word cannabis because. Marijuana was made up by the US government. It was
1: a derogatory. I have to admit, I, I don't know why I like the word marijuana,
0: that, it's, I don't know. I, don't know. I, I think it's because it, it rolls off the tongue yeah, nicely, yeah, yeah. it has that Latin yeah, yeah. sort of feel, but that's what they're going for, because they wanted yeah. people to dislike Latinos, so marijuana.
1: But it's funny because I know what you're saying, but also when I went to South America, that is the word of choice that everyone, even people who are pro weed. Yeah, it's funny. They, like, uh, they, they know that it, it was used as a derogatory word, but they're like, oh, I kind of like it now.
0: It's marijuana. Rick, Rick you know. Doblin, the head of MAPS. Like when you're at EGA, a lot of people says say, Rick Doblin, stop saying marijuana. It's cannabis. <laughs> He's the head of MDMA studies and psilocybin the way, yeah, studies and that, but he still says marijuana. It it's ingrained words. It is, yeah, it is. yeah. But yeah, that said, I know, I know what you're saying that. It, yeah, it's yeah. like it's like African Americans taking on a, a, what used to be a derogatory term for them, yeah, yeah, turning yeah. it into something, something positive, positive for them. Mm-hmm. So maybe it is a positive thing. We need to in take back in the long term. Back, the long back, term yeah, we need yeah, to yeah. take back these things. We need to take back what was once derogatory and turn it into a positive thing. Yeah. But um, all we know is that people have been using these substances for an extremely long period yeah. of time. Well, they've been around longer than humans have, if you,
1: if you want to put it that way. Yeah. Mushrooms and marijuana Mushrooms. in particular. A-
0: absolutely. And yeah, we right. have an endocannabinoid system for some reason. It goes all the way down to shellfish. Mm-hmm. Why are these cannabinoid receptors and stuff there? That's mm. an interesting question. Yeah. yeah um, why are humans so much more um, enabled to do certain tasks than other animals? Was it because of something such as the stone aped uh, hypothesis? Mm. It's not a theory because it can't be proven. Yeah. And I'm not going to say I sit on the fence with this one. But maybe too, it is yeah. because we followed animals out on the prairies and we were following their dung, looking for bugs and every now and then yeah. there was some Cubensis yeah, mushrooms It could definitely be a significant Pernelius factor, that's for sure. yeah. like It could be a significant factor, we'll, yeah. we will never know yeah, yeah. But we do know at the moment that these can open people's minds massively and maybe yeah. if that happens millions of times over a long period it changes the way that a species thinks yeah, well, even just one generation. Look
1: how much of a big impact the '60s era had. Like, you know what I mean? So, yeah, yeah,
0: incredible. Every person big. make
1: makes a difference, whether you even realize it in this lifetime or not. Yeah, so, yeah. But yeah, man, I'll, we'll leave it at that. I would just love to thank you for coming on, brother. I really appreciate it. Thanks really for sharing your story. You. Um, can you tell the people listening at home where they can find you if they want
0: to connect with you and just what what you're up to? If you want to connect with me, my name is Daniel Witham, uh, last name spelt W-I-T-H-A-M you can find me on Facebook my email yeah, address is danielwitham86 at uh, gmail.com and uh, please get onto the Australian Psychedelic Society, any psychedelic societies in your country uh, support students for sensible drug poli- policy uh, the global support don't punish movement and uh any other group that you know of in your country or your local area doing these things and uh, please click on the links below and uh, give these videos a like this guy's doing really good things in the world and so are a lot of other people trying to but thanks man <laughs> thanks very much for watching
1: awesome cheers guys and uh, don't want to get into it here but let's just say we will be making a mushroom safety guide thing it's going to be epic just keep a keep an eye out.
0: Spread some epic solosby uh, knowledge to exactly. the masses. Spread the spores of knowledge. Exactly. They must be spread. <laughs> <laughs>